Hey, this is Quincy Ameriqua, and you guys are listening to Soccer Sub Podcast. Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. I'm Banta. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yes. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. Ladies and gentlemen, the show starts in five, four, three, two, one. Let's rock. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 22. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. I'm joined here by my three Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian, Hugh, Eric. Fellas, how you guys doing? Episode 22. Good to be on with you guys. It's been a while. How you guys doing? Episode 22. Ali Paris Saint-Germain. Ali Paris Saint-Germain. Grande Pochettino. Episode number 22. The number of Ricardo Sexon Kaká. Listen, I only have memory for one player. So, uh, oh, Alexis Lalas, Alexis Lalas, the Abidal. and Avidal, of course. Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us today. Happy to be here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's been a while. It's been what? It's been it's been almost two weeks. Been a lot of stuffs happened since the last time we talked. So I'm 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 ready to get into it. Oh man, we're back! Episode twenty-two. I finally got my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> nice brand new logo. Oh man, let's get to it. This looks like a good episode for today. That's right, Eric. Yeah, for the soccer fans, we got a special guest joining us in a little bit. As always, we got a big show for you guys. She's a World Cup winner that was part of that special nineteen ninety-nine and two thousand three U.S. Women's Squad. She was voted U.S. Soccer Female Athlete of the Year in 2002. We got the one and only Miss Shannon McMillan joining us a little later Woo! on the show. Really oh. excited on that. Yes, so sir. World Cup winner, guys. We're, we're, we're making it somewhere. We're going somewhere. <laughs> that's right. We, we got gold on the show. That's That, that means exactly. something. So we're excited to have Shannon coming up a little later. And we have an extra co-host joining us in the studio. His name is Daniel. He's from Hackensack, New Jersey, joining us all the way from Costa Rica, long distance. Daniel, say what's up to the fans. Oh. How you doing, man? Thanks for being out with us. I appreciate you guys uh, inviting me here to speak with you guys. Uh, I consider myself a day when I've been following since you guys released the first episode. So it's exciting to see you guys, how you guys have grown and finally be a part of it. So thank you, guys. And Daniel, what's your favorite soccer team and who do you follow and all that stuff? Yeah, so, um, you know, Jersey kid. So obviously we follow uh, the Red Bulls. Um, I, I, I know like Christian, I mean, we, we've had some tough up and downs, but we're still hopeful of a, of a season, although we don't sign any DPs. I mean, we're hopeful we could uh, at least make some playoffs. And then uh, I would say I, I like Real Madrid, really followed them, especially with Kaylor Navas being there back a um, few years ago. And I mean, right now, I mean, Kaylor Nons is in goal with PSG, so we're, we're going for them all. And so it's PSG and, and Red Bulls uh, here in, in USA. Welcome to the show, Daniel. You, you saved yourself with Real Madrid, so we'll, we'll be glad to have you back on again. <laughs> and yeah, for the soccer fans, since we last recorded, MLS is back. We had a crazy fun-filled weekend with the first weekend games for MLS. Houston Dynamo, San Jose Earthquakes, LAFC with the Austin FC debut. LA Galaxy versus Inter Miami. That was a heck of a game. DC United versus NYCFC and Christian's Red Bulls versus Sporting Kansas. Also, we had to talk El Clasico, Real Madrid taking that one two to one against Barcelona in Madrid. That was a crazy game. We got to get into that in a little bit. And then, of course, we got to get into some Champions League talk. The last four teams are all set. We got Man City, PSG, Real Madrid, and Chelsea locked in for the final four. Some crazy matchups. We know Man City beat Dortmund, Chelsea beat Porto, Real Madrid beating Liverpool, and PSG beating Bayern. I don't know if that's the one to talk about. But uh, yeah, fellas, without further ado, we got to get into some uh, Clasico real quick. Hugh, I'll start that one off with you real quick on Real Madrid taking that Clasico 2-1 to versus Barcelona. Got to hear your thoughts as a resident uh, Real Madrid fan. 
Okay, let's get into this before I get I get attacked by by Christian. Um, <laughs> no, uh, look, I hate to be that guy, but it was a good game, and we we played really well, and I think we showed off a lot of what we've been doing pretty well recently. Now that said, there was no guarantee we should win that game. Like I'd like to tell myself that we were always the better team. We dominated possession. We crushed them. No, we we did not do any of that. You know, even the fact that in the 94th minute. Um, by the way, I, I don't I don't have this sort of respect for a lot of Barca players, but there is one Barca player whose name I just I cannot dislike. Elish Moriba. He's got the cool. He's got the coolest name. Coolest name out of any players in La Liga, and that includes Yuri Berchiche, right? Like he's he's up there with some really cool names, but Elish Moriba has got to be the coolest name in La Liga. Uh, he slaps one against a crossbar. I mean, that tells you we we got a little bit lucky. Now, that said, the Benzema goal was great, but. Again, it's one of those things where that's sort of a 50-50 situation, whether or not he scores that. It's impressive skill. He goes for the back heel. He ends up netting it. Like, all power to him, really well done. The The thing that was really impressive was before that, the the play that allowed Barca's defense to spread, right? You see Valverde gets the ball, and he pulls Jordi Alba out of the left-back position. Alba thinks he can take on Valverde. Valverde just puts on the Jets. He goes past him. He drives into space. Barcelona's defense splits. Araujo takes Benzema, but then Valverde is in acres of space. He dishes it off to Lucas Vasquez. Vasquez then puts in a a cross, easy as you like, and Benzema just has the finish to do it. And Benzema's finish, Benzema's finish is great, but it's not a guaranteed goal. And then Tony Kroos as well, you know, takes a deflection and goes in. By the way, I was thinking, I, I just remember looking at, at my screen thinking, man, if Tony, if Tony puts this in the back of the net, I am going to be the happiest man alive. And I swear to God, I was so happy. I, I like, I have a pet guinea pig. I just like jumped up and I was like, oh no, I got to feed my guinea pig. You know, like I was so happy about the goal. I just started like doing random household chores, which it's got to be something wrong with me about that. But, um, that was really great. And, and, you know, good on Mingueza for getting his goal. You know, I, I, as, as much as I, as, as I dislike Barca, you got to love good young talent coming up to La Liga and, and making the classical fun. But in classical related news, Messi has shaved his beard for the Copa del Rey final. As I was informed by the soccer subs group chat uh, today, um, I am now terrified and I don't think we are going to win the league because if beardless Messi is playing, we're, 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 we're low on time. So I'm a little bit worried, but I think we played well in the Classico. So, you know, going back to basics, baby, going back to basics when he shaved his beard, he was running all over the field. No, I mean, I mean, listen, I know Eric is going to uh, is going to come up next, but I got to say look, what you uh, well, I'm going to talk. I'm not going to let Eric talk and then I'll join because uh, I definitely have something to praise Real Madrid and that's Lucas Vasquez. But go ahead, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just just to like add a bit on to Hugh, you know, hey, you know, beardless, beard, no mustache, listen, bald. I don't care. We have our old little bald genius in Zinedine Zidane. Listen, <laughs> he has been working magic. He has been working wonders. Look, honestly, if he wins this league, if he manages to win UCO as well, without a doubt, he goes in history as a top five manager in my book. In my book, I don't know about anyone else's, but in my book, for sure. Now, getting to the classical, I I completely agree with you. I think, um, you know, the very the first half of the game, I honestly think that Madrid definitely played better. Uh, you know, they got their goals. Vinicius was just on a on a rampant tour. You know, he was just, oh man, that guy's pace is just unbelievable. Now, the second half, I I have to praise Barcelona. I I really have to because Coman. He's really turned things around for Barcelona. I think prior, you know, prior to the new year, there was a lot of coming out, coming out, you know, get get him out of here. What what is what's going on? But listen, he's he's doing something because the second half, I'll be honest, I was very worried. I was very worried. Now Barcelona came in attacking. They came uh, listen, a few shots off the crossbar. I do have to commend players like Militao who has just been a revolution since Varane and Sergio Ramos has been out. Mm-hmm. Billy Tao has played so great. Casemiro, listen, he got that silly red card. Uh, I just, I, when I saw the red card, I'm like, what are you doing? But listen, he's just such a, you know, he's just so key to this Real Madrid side. You know, players like Lucas Vasquez, who, listen, he is a right winger playing right back for you. He, honestly, 
I'm wondering why Pettis hasn't offered that extension because listen, he is, mm-hmm. he is, he. If there is a player as much that like symbolizes Real Madrid, first I, I picture Ramos. After that, I picture Lucas Vasquez because he just gives so much for the club. Now Barcelona, in my opinion, listen, I, I don't believe they're gonna win the league the league this year, but but they are a very young, hungry, scary side, and you definitely saw that towards the latter end of the half of the second half. They looked very scary. I, in my own opinion, I believe Barcelona are a few signings away from being world class again. You know, I uh, there's talks about Haaland. Listen, if Haaland goes to that Barcelona side, if they get a decent center back, they're back to competing at the top again. I'm talking UCL, Copa del Rey. I'm talking La Liga. Listen, but you know what? At the end of the day, I've always said this: the beautiful game, part of it is how well you play as a team, and that small fraction is all luck. And let's just say Real Madrid got lucky in towards the end. <laughs> Nah, man, I, I, I have to say that I agree with most of the things that you guys have touched on. I, I praise Real Madrid. I You guys already know how much I love Zidane. And I think you have to go back to basics and how you win championships defending. And I just saw that line, uh, that defensive line in Real Madrid. So in soccer, you usually have the defensive four and that number five that makes the line of five, right? But you saw... Um, you saw Madrid playing with an extra defender, so they, they literally they packed the whole uh, the whole defensive line, and Barca couldn't go through. You know they were still trying to touch uh, touch the ball as they do with a little bit of that tiki taka trying to get in, but all the crosses failed because there were just so many defenders ready to intercept those balls. And Lucas Vasquez was one of them. I mean, the, the real reason why I want to mention him is because you saw the difference when he was out injured, right? There were two halves. The first one, he was positioned every single time to intercept any balls or to step up and even to create the attack. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. His IQ, his mentality on the game is just is something that I truly got to admire on this game. Um, and then you have Tony Kroos, Modric, and Benzema. Oh, my God. Those guys are magicians. They don't age. They just continue to get better and better. You don't have That's one big example that you don't have to be running around the pitch to create football. They were just magic. The way they uh, touch, uh, touch the ball, get in between the lines, finding Vinicius. I mean, I'm telling you, Vinicius could have helped Madrid uh, increase the lead. But obviously, he's still young. He's still developing. Uh, but there were some great things that I saw on the first half. They could have been 3-0 if it wasn't for that Valverde post. So props to Madrid. They played really well. I told Hugh this, that after what I saw when they played Liverpool, I was scared going into the weekend. I'm like, watch out for Madrid because even without two of their starting center backs, they play phenomenal. So props to the Ala Madrid fans. Yeah, so I mean, you guys pretty much touched up on on everything, but just uh, as Eric mentioned, Barcelona was a whole different team on that second half. You got to credit that to also the subs that the, that manager made, and then Zidane. Uh, every game's a final for him, and it's crucial three points for them to be at top of the standings. And then uh, I know as a Madrid fan, but we gotta you gotta mention that controversial call, no call of Mendy and Braithwaite. Was it a penalty? Was it not? Ref didn't call it. VAR didn't see it, and uh. Madrid comes away with the three points, but easily could have been a could have gone either way and could have been a one point for each uh, team. So definitely VAR always comes controversial. But for Madrid fans, we got lucky and left with three points. You would have come crying to the episode if that would have happened. I would have I would have lost it if that would have been called a penalty. I would I mean, I'm I'm going to I'm just going to quote half of the guys on the Chiringuito, right? especially especially one guy who is who is very quite emphatic which is like you know as much as i would love for it to be like a valid complaint every time real madrid best barca or every time barca has been unlucky recently like a little bit unlucky or, or or played poorly every single time you just hear like barca fans going oh it was this oh it was that you know like it should have given a penalty should like just give up at a certain point like let it just be you guys didn't play that well like like christian is the only barca fan i know who does not do this like christian christian i have i have all respect for you in the fact that you are not complaining about that not being a penalty because oh my god everyone's always complaining about it and it, it 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 drives me up the wall yeah, he just scratched his shirt. That wasn't a penalty. 
Yeah, and as for me, I mean, as a Real Madrid fan, I'm I'm definitely agreeing with all you guys, especially Eric. I feel like Eric's always kind of has the same vibe I have. I was definitely nervous going into this game. We definitely didn't play a good second half. We definitely got to give credit to the back four. You know, definitely got to give credit to Mendy, Nacho, Militao, Lucas Vasquez. And yeah, like Eric said, you know, Ronald Coleman's definitely turned this team around. I know just a few episodes ago we were talking about can Ronald Coleman lead this team? And I think the answer is yes. If if he has a trust of his players and he's definitely turned Barcelona around. I was looking, you know, at, at Barca's last couple of results and both teams were coming in hot, you know. I'm seeing uh, you know, even though PSG knocked out Barca, Barca drew with PSG 1-1 in Paris. Then they they beat uh, Real Sociedad 6-1, you know, away. And they also they also uh, came from beating a Valladolid. And I know Real Madrid were coming in hot as well with the win from Liverpool as well. So, I mean, both teams were coming in hot. I knew it was going to be a good game. We weren't in our best game for the second half for sure. But like Christian said too, Benzema being a magician, Tony Cruz, uh, Modric, you know, you got to trust these guys because these guys have been, you know, the cornerstone for the team. So I think right now it's just the race to the finish line to see who who can kind of keep up, who can, you, you can't afford to drop points at this point. So. We shall stay tuned. And all right, fellas, we got to get into Champions League talk. As we just mentioned, Man City, PSG, Real Madrid, Chelsea are the last four teams standing. I'm sure we saw a lot of good games. I got to ask you guys, what was your biggest shocker? Just your thoughts on these on these past legs. And I also got to talk predictions, too. So I want to hear from you guys. Um, Eric, if you don't mind, I'll go with you first on Champions League talk. Oh, man, you know... All, all those games, you know, I think I thought each leg was amazing in its own end. Um, I mean, a lot of people are going to talk about Bayern PSG, but listen, I'm I'm going to talk about Liverpool and Madrid. Honestly, I think I believe Liverpool dropped the ball so many times during that game. I, I think um, again, Madrid is riding their luck a bit. You know, they had their moments. Madrid definitely played um, well in some stages of the game, but Liverpool, I'm I'm really surprised. You know, players like Mohamed Salah, who was just he he just felt very uncomfortable throughout the whole game. I, w- I was surprised what's going on. You know, we're talking about uh, the leading goal scorer of the Premier League, you know, um, you know, a sensational talent for, talent for the past, you know, three seasons, four seasons. And I, I really saw him falter. He, you know, he this was his time to lead this Liverpool front line. And he he really faltered. I was, a, you know, I think as a as a neutral, I'm not a, I'm, well, I was a Madrid fan, but I think neutral fans would be disappointed about what happened. Um, they were definitely very shaky, but the leg itself, listen, Madrid stick to their guns, held the defense tight and they came out with the win. But I, I was, I was quite surprised with Liverpool. Um, and I just, you know, I hope they don't let this, um, result lead them into the premier league because, Hey, they may not, may, they may not be in UCL next season, the way it's looking like. I mean, yeah, just briefly touching on the same game. I know I talk a lot about Madrid in the classical discussion, but I didn't mention my new favorite center back pairing which is Nacho and Militao, just like, they're just good. Like, they're just good together. And I didn't expect them to be good together. I, you know, my, my palms were sweating before the first leg of the Champions League. I was like, we're going to get ripped apart. Mohamed Salah is going to burn them for pace. And like, where could you find Mohamed Salah after the first leg in Liverpool? In Casemiro and Nacho's back pocket. That's like, if you looked anywhere for him, he was right there, right? Him and him and Diogo Jota. Um, no offense to them. They're both really good players. Like, please come on our show. But honestly, I mean, Nacho is one of my favorite players ever. Like, if, if, if any of you who are listening, I look into Nacho's history. He has an amazing history, both as a person and a player. Uh, he had a you know, sort of a, a difficult time uh, coming up to the academies. He was diagnosed with type one diabetes. He was told he was never going to play soccer again. And then he persevered. He was, he was you know, a, a different doctor's opinion. He moved on to the point where now he's playing to to really push for this season when the, the star defenders are injured. And he's finally getting his break as after you know years and years as a Swiss Army knife of Real Madrid's team, he's now getting to play center back for a team that you know is in good contention, but just their their big guns are out. And look, I mean, in terms of football, the first leg was really good. We just exploited the fact that Trent Alexander Arnold was getting slammed by the British press uh, for not playing good enough defense. So what did we do? We made him play more defense. And what did he not do? Play any of the defense. So you know, Tony Kroos is looping balls. Um, I mean, Vinicius just turned into prime R nine for like you know most of that game. What a finish that was. Um, and that was great and then going into the Anfield like I mean the Anfield like was atrocious if you were trying to get like a fun game because 
it, it was like watching a Mourinho team park the bus uh, with, with Madrid, except it was much prettier. Like if you were if you were listening to a radio broadcast of the game, it would have been terrible. But watching Casemiro like um, watch. So I think it was like the 10th minute of the game. James Milner goes to collect the ball in front of the in front of the dugouts and Casemiro hits him with like a scissor challenge, just sweeps out his legs and like clobbers him to the ground and just stands up, turns his back on the Liverpool bench. And and like Robertson comes and pushes him or something. And Casemiro like looks at Robertson. He's like, I I will punch you like I will beat you to death if you try to do anything uh and it was it was like you know th- that's what I really liked about it and yeah you, know, you can complain about being dirty who cares but um no I, I thought it was a really good like and I, I know you guys will touch on PSG Byron as well PSG Byron was great it, Chelsea Porto was the other like I, I sort of tried to pay attention to uh because I I, I I don't think a lot of people really cared too much about it and you were right too. It was it was kind of boring. Like uh, ex- except for the last four minutes of the second leg, the the extra time of the second leg of the, of the tie, it, it was cool. You know, Medi Taremi scored a bicycle kick, like really good on him. He's the first Iranian player to ever score in a Champions League quarterfinal, and he scored a banger. Except the entirety of the rest of the of the tie was like, Meh. it just could have been more exciting, and it it wasn't. But I mean, ooh, oh, Christian Pulisic got man of the match, you know, American. So good on him. Come on our show, buddy. <laughs> I would say, I mean, so switching the games, I would go the most uh, interesting one for me was obviously PSG Bayern. And I got to highlight my my guy, Kaylor Navas, I'm be a little biased here. But yeah. honestly, I feel that he's finally he has to be getting the, the credit he deserves. Obviously, I feel he's one of the most underrated keepers either if it's because he's from CONCACAF, just Central America, Costa Rica, but he deserves to be in the talks of right there with Oblak, Ter Stegen, Neuer, all those keepers. And I mean, just look, um, 2015, 2018, UCL champion. Last year, he was runner-up. This year, he's a semifinalist. I mean, it's it's time we give him his his uh, his credit. And um, uh, he was the one that kept the PSG in that game. Neymar missed chances. He hit that crossbar, then hit that post, and Bayern had their opportunities. And if it wasn't for Navas, I think we'd be talking. Uh, we'd be talking differently right now. And then in regards to the other games, I honestly feel it's just momentum. Uh, Porto, Chelsea, Tecatico Corona could have been. He could have been crowned in Mexico if he would have hit that goal in the tenth minute when Mendy messed up or when he got behind the key uh, behind the defender, brought it down, volleyed it. So it's just chances like that. And then the Dortmund game, the penalty that they gave up. Those are momentum changers and team riding momentum. It's just like that. That brings morale down. And then it, it goes, it goes, uh, it goes to the other team. So really it's just momentum when it comes to games like that. And then Keylor Navas, man, he he's deserved it. And I think he's going for revenge. And I, I think he wants Madrid in the final. Keylor Navas is on Keylor Navas. Fun fact has never lost, has never lost a two legged champions league tie. He's, I mean, his teams have lost them, but he has never played in the game that they have been knocked out in. Yeah, I, I won't name all the times, but fun fact. Also, that was a soft penalty against Dortmund. <laughs> well, would you just jinx them because they are going to lose? I'm sorry, Danielito. I'm sorry. I mean, listen, I'm a You're pit. No, You're no, fine. no, no. <laughs> I, I look b- before I get into the whole uh, semifinals. I have to say, uh, much respect. I think what uh, Daniel said is very important. Keylor Navas has been just as important um, as Courtois, as Norris yeah. has been for for their teams. This just phenomenal goalkeeper. Uh, I do have to say, I really like the number twenty-seven from uh, PSG. I can't pronounce his name. I'm terrible with that, but he's really good because with Paredes, that double pivot. They were able to control Bayern's attacks pretty well. And the defenders did a good job as well. But uh, just look how important it is to have a healthy trio of Di Maria, Mbappe, and Neymar. Because they're able to connect so well together. Uh, they wait. They play those filter, filter those passes in attack. It's just scary. Because if you're going one-on-one against Mbappe, good luck. And this is also good for 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 uh, Manchester City. They have to watch out for those runs because this guy is unstoppable, and he continues to develop, and he continues to be such a great player. Um, it's gonna be a great, entertaining um, semifinal. Uh, like I said, I, I both teams, whoever goes to the final, will end up winning everything. 
Um, no disrespect to the Real Madrid fans here. Uh, with that, <laughs> with that being said, uh, props to uh, Pep Guardiola because Dortmund did make it a little bit harder for them. The scoreline was 4-2, but uh, I think uh, uh, Dortmund played well with what uh, with the team that they have. Obviously, Haaland, I don't know what he's going to do next year. Hopefully, comes to uh, Barcelona or Manchester City. I'll be happy either way. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, fellas, as for me, they call it the beautiful game for a reason, right? There's always the opportunity for revenge. And I was watching the PSG Bayern game, glued to the TV. I mean, I'm I'm really thrilled for PSG. I called it with Christian. Christian, I was right there with you calling it in Pochettino We Trust. Thank you. Uh, I believe that was two episodes ago. Thank but, you. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, what a heck of a what a heck of a leg, you know, home and away for PSG. I'm happy for for Mbappe. He really deserves it. He's been playing lights out. PSG's been playing awesome. I'm really excited to see. I mean, I think I feel like PSG Man City could just be a, a final by itself, right? I feel like, you know, that's gonna be a heck of a, a heck of a game there, a home and away. As for me though, I gotta ask you guys though, just before we, we get to Shannon McMillan. What are you guys' predictions? Because my question for you guys, could it have been a totally different game if Lewandowski was in the game? So as for me, though, I'll leave it with you guys. Eric, to start it off, quick predictions uh, out of the top four right now. Who do you think is taking it all? Well, first and foremost, uh, listen, we're going to have a final battle of the balls. Guardiola. Guardiola versus Zidane for sure. Now, is this going to be the matchup that finally, you know, Put Zidane on top of Guardiola? I don't know. But listen, I have Madrid winning it all as a loyal Madrist, Madrista. Although maybe I'll change my opinion given that my predictions haven't been too, <laughs> too hot as of late, you know? But Hala Madrid. I mean, okay. So I do want to just close something up. When I bet against PSG, that's before Robert Lewandowski got injured. So like, I don't want to say my predictions are still intact, but my predictions are still intact. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, all jokes aside. Uh, I think... I think um, Real Madrid's biggest chance of winning the Champions League is if PSG beats City, right? And I think because Real Madrid against City doesn't look favorable for us, but I think we can still do it. I, I think we're going to beat Chelsea if we play the same way we've been playing. That said, Real Madrid sometimes does stuff that even as a loyal Madrista, I like want to rip all my hair out because sometimes we, we, we get to the point and, and this has only happened in, in, in like the past three seasons, but like, I'm just worried about us getting to like in the mindset of being in the final that will worry that will stumble on the semifinal. But I, I think we can beat Chelsea. And I think we, we, we probably should beat Chelsea. And you know what? I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a gamble. I'm going to run a hot take. PSG are going to beat City, and it's going to be a Real Madrid PSG final. And I am not going to lose anything either way because either Keylor Navas wins or Madrid wins, and I'm happy either way. So you know what? That's my prediction. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's a phrase in Spanish that says that "fútbol da la revancha," right? Which translates to soccer always gives the the revenge, the rematch. So, and I think that's applying to Keylor Navas right there. You know, he's gonna he's gonna face Real Madrid again, and it's gonna be a Cinderella story, fairy tale ending. Uh, they're gonna regret, see what 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 they let go, and um, I think PSG also they were runner ups last year. They have that bittersweet taste in their mouth, and they're going on. And also, it's time for Neymar and Mbappe to show that Neymar has what it to lead PSG to something like that big trophy. So PSG Madrid, um, PSG takes it all, and Keylor Navas once again uh, shows out for Costa Rica and Concacaf. Oh man, but Daniel, remember PSG knocked out Madrid. So if we're talking revenge. <laughs> yeah, you're right. As well. yeah. yeah, that's right. Listen, the only thing that I, is, is coming through my head right now is that two coaches that were fired are in the UCL semifinals, which is Pochettino and uh, Thomas Tuchel. So that tells you how much you have to teams trust the process, man. Just trust the process. Stop firing coaches away. With that being said, you know, Two legends come to my mind. I already said it, Zidane and, and Pep Guardiola. Uh, I do think PSG is a very, very tough team. But, uh, you know, like they did make it against Bayern just on away goals. And they got to score those chances. Neymar had a lot of chances, a lot of balls that hit the post. If you're not scoring that against City and City catches you opened up, man, you got to watch out because they're dangerous too. So definitely have Man City going through. 
with all my love for PSG because I like them as well. But uh, yeah, that's the first finalist. And with Chelsea, Real Madrid, I think, Hugh, you said it perfectly, man. Listen, Real Madrid needs to stop playing games. I know there are some times that they make some decisions or they're not able to score goals as well. Vinicius, this is for you. I know you're only 20. But hey, Chelsea has a good defensive line as well, man. And these Germans, they know how to play defensively and attack as well. So please keep an eye on that game. And yeah, I, I can't say who's going to win it. I'll reserve that until uh, until the next episode. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's going to be a win-win. I think I'm as a Real Madrid fan, I got to go with Real Madrid. But I would not be disappointed if uh, PSG take it all as well. Now, our takes could all be wrong. Just imagine Chelsea take it all the way. We're all going to be wrong. Imagine uh, Thomas. I mean, Thomas Tuchel's onto something. Like we've been talking about on the previous shows. So, and Zidane, I trust as well. Oh man, this is this is this is rough. Either way, for me, I, I think the two favorites right now are PSG, Real Madrid. We'll see how it goes. And all right, fellas, thank you guys for the predictions. We'll be back again for the following episode. Uh, see how that's going so far. If we're halfway wrong or who gets knocked out already <laughs> all right fellas we got to get to our special guest uh shannon mcmillan she was a world cup winner with the 1999 and 2003 world cup squad she's got the gold super excited to talk to her uh, yeah shannon mcmillan's coming up next let's go all right soccer fans we have a special guest joining the show today She is a former u.s women's national team player as well as a former assistant coach She is one of the founding members of the Women's United Soccer Association. She was a member of that special 1999 and 2003 Women's World Cup squad, as well as the U.S. Olympic team as well. She was voted as the U.S. Soccer Female Athlete of the Year in 2002 and is also part of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. It is a true pleasure to have her on the show. Let's please give a warm welcome to Ms. Shannon McMillan. Oh, <laughs> Shannon McMillan. <laughs> I like it, Chris, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> he does that to every guest. He does that to every guest. Oh, I hear I thought I was special, <laughs> Ronnie. <laughs> We're going to have to edit that, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ronnie. <laughs> That's our soccer subs, in, soccer subs intro. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on with us. Really means a lot. A true pleasure and honor to have you on with us. Definitely, just to start things off, uh, one of our first questions is, how are you? How have you been? You know, I think we take a lot of pride knowing that you were born in New York and Long Island, so you can't take the New York yeah. out of somebody. That's how's your right. off-season been, and how's living in San Diego? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I love that New York um, still claims me. You know, Smithtown Bowl, I'll never forget it. Um, I used to drive Sarah Whalen crazy because she's a true New Yorker. You know, and whenever we're playing with the national team, they always wanted to talk to me. And she's like, are you serious? She lived here all of two years and they want to talk to you over me. So uh, I used to drive her bonkers. So um, it, it's still a piece of pride for me, but can't complain. San Diego, we're having much nicer weather than you guys currently are. 100%. Um, you know, Very jealous. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. We get to play soccer 363 days out of the year. No, that is amazing. Yeah, we are totally jealous of the West Coast weather right now. I'm seeing 70s and low 80s over there. So we're so totally jealous. And Shannon, I guess our first real question, just kind of diving straight into the interview. We have to start with the early beginnings. Obviously, you've had such an amazing career. One thing we didn't really see too much on is we obviously saw that you went to college and you were a striker in college. And then you moved mm -hmm. over to a midfielder when you joined the U.S. women's national team. If you could just tell us about just your early beginnings uh, playing the sport and what was that adjustment like from striker to midfielder? Yeah, well, basically started playing when I was five years old. Rec soccer. Love the fact that at halftime you got orange slices after the game. You know, you're hanging with friends and, you know, depending on which parents were on snack duty, got the best snacks post game. And it was just about fun and enjoying it. Um, it started to become a, a release and a way for me to channel energy, no matter what was going on at home or at school, if I got in a fight with friends or something like that, whenever I stepped on the field, all of that was just behind me. And it was about me, that ball, and it was just such a release. And um, I kind of flew under the radar until Clive Charles, who was the coach at University of Portland, saw me at the Far West Regionals in Arizona way back in the day and called me. And because we went all the way that year, my club team went all the way to the national championships. I started getting recruited and coaches were promising me the world. You're going to be on the national team. You're going to start, you're going to score all these goals. And I was a 16 year old girl from Escondido, a small town down here in San Diego. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm in. 
And then I went up to Portland and sat down with Clive. He ignored me all weekend. He introduced me to himself and then I didn't see him all week. And I'm like, what's going on? Everyone else was all up all over me, promising me the world. And long story short, I sat down with him right before I flew home. And he just said, all right, we've talked to the girls. We think you'd be a good fit up here. And I'm sitting across from it. I'm like, okay, you know, where's the candid camera? You know, what's going on? I'm like, well, am I going to play? And he just shrugged his shoulder and he said, I don't know. I'm like, okay, no, this like, seriously, I'm like, you're the coach, right? You're Clive. And he's like, yeah. And he just said, he goes, look, I don't know what you're going to do. I can't promise you that you're going to get on the national team. I can't promise that you're going to start every game. I can't promise that you're going to score a certain amount of goals. He said, all I can promise you is that you'll be given the opportunity. And it's going to be up to you what you do with that opportunity. And it just struck a chord within me. It still gives me the chills to tell that story today. And I just bit my tongue from saying, I'm in. Where do I sign? And going up to play for the University of Portland was single-handedly the best decision in my life. Um, it helped shape me as a player. It helped shape me as a person. And the many hats I wear today, I'll be forever be thankful to Clive and the University of Portland. And as it turns out, I took pretty good advantage of the opportunity he gave me. It uh, got the attention of the national team. And as you said, I was a forward. And when I first got to pull, and I was that forward where when the ball got played through, I would chase it down, score, cross, whatever. And then kind of that easy jog walk back. And uh, when I got to Portland, he that didn't fly. And he was like, uh-uh, you set the tone for our defense. And so I was a striker the entire time at Portland. And right before 96, um, because we didn't have a league at the time, we had to go into residency periods. So the entire group, 25 of us would uproot, leave our families, leave homes, jobs, relationships, everything. And we would move and train together to create that environment that we would need. And in 96, at um, the end of 95, they actually had a training camp, ironically, down here in Chula Vista, where San Diego Loyal trained. And they were going to pick a group of women to move to Florida to train for the Olympics, the first women's soccer Olympics. I just finished my senior year, was the most confident that I'd ever been as a player. And I got cut. And I went back to Portland and I was crying, bawling my eyes out. And Clive sat down with me, listened to me cry and bawl my head off. And, you know, after about an hour, he said, are you done handing me tissues? And I said, no. And I went on for another half hour, all kinds of colorful descriptions of how uneducated the coaches were, you name it. <laughs> and he gave me 24 hours to mope and feel sorry about myself. And he said, again, you're going to have an opportunity and it's going to be a matter if you're ready for it. And I'm thinking again, this guy's lost his mind. I'm like, they've just brought about 24 players down to the Olymp to Florida to train. 96, it was 16 player roster for the Olympics. I'm like, Clive, they still have to cut eight people. How are you saying I'm gonna have a chance? And he just said, you'll have an opportunity. And because he said it with such conviction, long story short, I, I said, all right. So the next day I went out there and he kicked my butt. And a month later I got called in as a scrub team, because the leadership, Michelle Akers, Karen Gabars, they were going to U.S. soccer about having some sense of salary versus just being per diem, because in fairness, when you uproot your life for six months, you know, how are you, $10 a day um, doesn't quite, isn't quite sufficient. So they took a scrub team down, and that's when Tony said, hey, we need a midfielder. And if I hadn't been cut a month and a half earlier, I probably would have said, yeah, sure. Good luck finding one because I'm a striker. I score goals. I'm a forward. That's what I do. Um, because, but at that point, because it had been taken away and I was willing to do anything. Um, I said, I'll try it. You know, all I know about midfield is it's an awful lot of running, but on the other hand, I've got Christine Lilly who plays the left flank who better to learn from. So I started picking her brain and kind of morphed into a midfielder. And by the grace of God, I had the one and only Joy Fawcett behind me because I know she cleaned up after me more than she probably would have um, and allowed me to be more of an attacking midfielder. So forever thankful. She still to this day has my back, um, but that was the transition. It wasn't necessarily by choice, um, but it was an opportunity and I jumped on it. But uh, Shannon, you were a clinical finisher and your ability to weave through defenders is, is just amazing. So was there a role model? Did you have uh, any playing style that you kind of modeled in order to become the player that you became? Yeah, you know, in fairness, not really, because we didn't really have it wasn't that big then, you know, it's going to age myself, but. We didn't have a women's national team when I was growing up. I basically followed my big brother around. It drove him up a wall. He could be playing flag football, street hockey. And I'm like, I'm playing, I'm in, I'm in. You know, it used to drive me crazy. But then when teams were picked, he made sure I was on his side. 
Um, and for me, it was just, I knew I was, I had speed. So I wanted to either just one, I was looking for the nutmeg. If I couldn't nutmeg, yeah, I was just going to try to get it by you and outrun you. Um, so there really wasn't any, st- and even to now as a coach, I, I run a youth club as well. And they're like, what's your favorite move? I'm like, I didn't have all those <laughs> fancy dance amounts. I was like, I'm either Megan you or I'm running by you. That was, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And kind of like touching back on, 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 you mentioned coach Clive Charles, who has been such an inspiration to you. I, I wanted to focus a little bit on, on that and how influential was him when you received the news that you you got cut from the Olympic team how did you prepare mentally and uh, technically in order to be prepared for when that moment came yeah he was the first person I called you know I, I when they announced the team they basically hung up a roster in the locker room and you were either in the list of 24 or so players or you had a time down below to meet with the coaches and that was when they were going to tell you why they didn't pick you And I remember sitting down, crying, bawling my head off and just thinking, you know, all I heard was wah, wah, wah. I don't even remember one word they said. My thought was like, I've got to get home to Portland. I got to get back to Clive. And, you know, I went immediately there and he just, he just had this way of knowing how to get the most out of every player individually, out of everybody as a collective unit, whether it was the men's team or the women's team. It was just such a trait that is so admired. Um, and he just sat down and it just, for me, it was, you know, I wasn't always the fittest, uh, you know, I wasn't the one Christine Lilly, if you put her in the beep test, they just eventually have to shut the recording off because she's still running, you know, I'm, I'm over there passed out. She's still running type thing. So, um, he just really worked me hard and it just a lot of, you know, finishing crossing, um, and a lot of one V one stuff because he knew that was one of my strengths and obviously, My weakness was always defending. So, um, you know, but when you have the likes of a Tiffany Milbert to train with and stuff and play with through college, it definitely helps you. Hey, Shannon, one quick question I had, uh, and we can name all the names, but you played with some legends, you know, on, on the women's yeah. uh, national team. <laughs> Mia Hamm, Michelle Akers, just, I'm glad you mentioned her, uh, Julie Foudy, Abby Wambach, just to name a few. And I know you've <laughs> given a lot of credit to your coaches, you know, in your early career. Was there ever a player that pushed you harder was there ever a player that you kind of saw like wow she is so good I got to step it up yeah you know that's a great question and I I was truly blessed to play with some of the amazing greats and women that I'm so fortunate to still call friends and still be in touch with um you know but you you see the Karen Gabars who just sliced through defenses to get chances off you know Michelle Akers who's literally having to be dragged off the field because she's passed out from a concussion or something like that um but for me Joy Fawcett was the one because I I truly believe she was in her prime and when she was playing the best defender in the world um we were roommates and spent a lot of time together Um, you know, I got to torture her kids, uh, living with them. They kept us sane, but she was the one for me who would, she was, she would tell me straight up, you know, if I didn't make a team or a roster, she would say, you know, yeah, you kind of got screwed there, but just keep going or, you know, you need to do this better. So she's the one that had the weight of, you know, I, I knew I could get a straight answer versus like, oh yeah, you got a raw deal. It stinks, that type of stuff. Um, And training with her, you know, I, I always wanted to go against her because I knew she would bring out the best in me because it would it was going to have to take uh, something special to get by her. So she definitely um, was someone that pushed me, but also supported me. She sat through a lot of crying moments. Um, hopefully I did the same for her and is still a dear, dear friend. We see each other often. I'll actually see her um, next weekend. Her and her husband are coming down uh -huh. to visit. Oh, very nice. Oh, thank you for those yeah. stories. That's, that is amazing just to hear that, you know, those firsthand accounts like on yeah. how she kind of uplifted you and all that. That's amazing. Good egg. <laughs> and I had a question in regards to the tournament. So, mm -hmm. you know, Coach Tony was received a lot of criticism because <laughs> every time that you came in, you had the Midas touch. Every touch turned into a goal. Not gold. Try to play words there. Um <laughs> I wanted to ask you, so now looking at, it, looking at it from this perspective, would you have wanted to start the game or would you, or do you think that was probably the best timing for you to come in, in the, on the field? Yeah, you know, as a competitor, you always want to start. You always want to be out there, especially because for us, it became a sisterhood. You know, going through these residencies, it's not always rainbows and butterflies with 25 
competitive women living together. There's highs and lows through the months. Tony uh, was a phenomenal manager and knew when to just let throw a ball out and let us just go play when, you know, it was time to really coach us. Um, so I always trained as if I was going to be a starter, but I think what's really important is, um, you know, and I tell a lot of the kids I work with today is you have to be flexible and you have to train as if you're going to start, but then you also have to be able to embrace a role if it's different. Um, you know, in 96, I went from not making the team to all of a sudden I started in the Olympics and was leading score. And then we move into 99 and I'm coming off the bench and got the nickname super sub um, and brought that spark. And through the whole tournament, you know, after the first couple of games, I was getting hit with that a lot in the media tunnels of like, you know, are you telling Tony to play you? And my response was like, hey, you're, that's up to you guys. That's up to Tony. At the end of the day, he makes the roster. I am so blessed and honored to be a part of this team. If it means stepping on the field for 10 minutes, I'm going to make the most of those 10 minutes and try to make that 10 minutes equal 20 minutes the next game because I did well. So it was really about just for me, being a part of that team was something so incredible. Um, and I was drawn to team sports from the get-go. You know, I think my two-week track career proved that I'm not an individual athlete. Um, and so just being a part of it, I just wanted to do anything I could to help my teammates win. So um, I definitely wanted to start. And as I look back, I don't know that I would change anything, including that being cut in 96, because it all helped shape me it was all incredible, valuable lessons that I learned along the way that I'm hoping to impart now on, on players that I work with. And continuing in the vein of, um, of the tournament of, of the World Cup specifically, you mentioned sort of the community around the team and how everyone sort of was competitive, but also looked out for each other. Uh, and then, I mean, the, the World Cup as a tournament was very impressive for the U.S. women's team in 1999. And, and for you yourself, you got a goal against, uh, against North Korea, I believe, in the, mm-hmm. um, in the group stages. And then a sort of very nerve-wracking final <laughs> against China. What was the sort of feeling around winning the tournament? Because a lot of people describe the, the feeling of winning a major tournament as, as indescribable. But... And so maybe this might be a bit of a, a an overstepping <laughs> question, but what was it like winning a World Cup? I guess is is the the simplest way, the simplest thing I'm asking. It was indescribable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I think for us, you know, I think every athlete you grow up dreaming of being in the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and when you're a soccer player, you dream of being in a World Cup because that's the premier event. That's the entire world focused in on just soccer. And, you know, I didn't even know we had a national team in 91 and that they won the 91 World Cup, which was the first ever World Cup ever. And you talk to the Karen Gabars and those, the, the, you know, the Joy Fawcett's and that crew, and they joke about how they win the World Cup in China, they fly home to LA, and there's like five people in baggage claim waiting for them. And it's all family, you know, and no one, no one could care less. Um, so then you flash forward in 99, we're hosting it. And, you know, at first there was talk of like smaller um, stadiums, let's make sure we sell tickets and this and that. And this incredible woman by the name of Marla Messing came along and said, no, we're going big. We're talking NFL stadiums and yeah, we will fill them. And we kind of sat there going, okay, all right. You know, I mean, this not too long ago, this team was playing in high school stadiums with subpar fields, but we're like, she sold it. She came in with conviction and we said, we'll do it. So there was a lot of self-promoting along the way. Um, We joke that the likes of Mia Hamm, her back still must be hurting because she carried such a load away from the team with the media and all that. Um, You know, every city we went and played in, we were out doing appearances. We stayed signing autographs and making that connection. And finally to get out there and see that these stadiums are filling up and to you know obviously going down to penalties and it being dramatic and brandy ripping her shirt off and all that stuff it was such this amazing sense of relief one that holy crap we did it because we knew we wanted to launch a women's league and we knew that if we didn't win it would be that much harder so there was a sense of okay now we have a platform to do more with Um, And what was really pretty special for us was by the time we got to the Rose Bowl was seeing the amount of boys and girls that had their faces painted that were wearing jerseys with our names on them. And the amount of people that we actually touched and embraced um, and people that we helped to fall in love with the game. 
that to this day love the game. So um, it really is hard to put into words, but it's just, just imagine having the wildest, craziest dream ever. And then it happens with a group of your best friends that are like family. Um, next couple of weeks were a bit of a blur for us, obviously celebrating, but um, it was truly an amazing time. And I'm fortunate now, my son, as you, as he just Zoom bombed us, um, is 11 years old and we had a 20 year reunion and he got to meet a uh, majority of the 99ers. And, you know, we took a bus to the women's game and it was just like we were back in our playing days. Even my son was like, what is going on? You guys are crazy. Um, so it's just really, really special memories that we will cherish forever. And, um, you know, lifelong sisters. Uh, and, and I wanted to ask you for one specific memory. Uh, what were those um, moments like when Coach Tony gave the speech, the technical uh, staff gave the speech before you guys jump onto the field. What was it like? Yeah, well, we would usually when we get into the locker room, you know, we all have our routines. You've got Julie Foudy, Loudy Foudy, with the music pumping. Tiff Roberts, you know, is playing DJ, and Foudy's out there challenging people to their best worst dance. Um, you know, Joy Fawcett and I, probably because we were really good friends, were more the quieter ones. There was no way we were participating in the dance party. So we all kind of had our time um, to really zone in, but they always had um, either a dry erase or whiteboard with the positions, who was starting, um, you know, set pieces, that type of stuff. And, you know, the thing about Tony was he just, he just loved his job and he would just get us fired up, you know, and one of the favorite things always came out, I think Carla Overbeck might have been the one to start it, is whoever we were playing, if we were playing Brazil, she would just be like, it's a bad day to be from Brazil. And just all these little things, you know, and getting pumped up. And, um, you know, especially during the World uh, World Cup Olympics, and you walk out and you just, it, the energy just sucks the breath out of you for a second. Um, but it was always a moment and we would just come together and just get pumped up. A lot of music bumping in there, though. Uh, hey, Shannon. So one quick question for me, and this is something I really admire about you. You know, after you um, stopped playing soccer, after you after you retired, it looks like you've pretty much dedicated your career afterwards to youth development. And I think that really mm -hmm. starts when you took the, an assistant coach uh, role at UCLA. And then we read about you being part of an organization with the DMCV Sharks, where that focuses on sending you know, young youth to college and making sure they get scholarships and they get players over there. We just wanted to ask you, of course, like, what can you say about the growth of the sport here in the U.S.? Obviously, we've seen it so grown so much, you know, in the MLS, the NWSL, yeah. even in the USL, and just the importance of youth development. Yeah, it's it's exciting, you know, and um, I'll be honest, when I when I first retired from playing, I kind of hit this just like law of what am I going to do? You know, where am I going to find this adrenaline rush? you know, going out and training and pushing myself to the limits and found, had a few months where I just didn't know what I was going to do. And Hey, it's great. I could sleep till noon. And <laughs> that's, that's my day. Um, and then the more I thought about it, I just really thought back to Clive and the impact he had on me as a person and a player. And so, uh, and I thought about all the, the career I was blessed with. And so it became really evident and important to me to give back to the game. So I knew I wanted to go into coaching because if I could have the impact on some of these young people that Clive had on me, uh, man, I'm doing a pretty special thing. So um, started coaching at UCLA as an assistant coach, absolutely hated Los Angeles. No offense to all the LA people. Um, <laughs> it was just too live wire for me. Um, San Diego was home. And so uh, a youth club, the Del Mar Carmel Valley Sharks reached out and asked me to come um, help out with their, their girls program. And I, I said, my initial phone call was like, absolutely not because the youth game is out of control. You've got all these crazy over, you know, parents that are trying to create the next Mia Hamm or Megan Rapinoe. And I wanted nothing to do with it. And they called back and I said, all right, if we're gonna do this, it's gonna be about the kids and setting them up to succeed because you know, it's a pyramid for a reason to get to the national team and it's few and far in between, but sport offers so many incredible life lessons that are going to help these young players succeed off the field from overcoming the adversity to the leadership, to the confidence, you know, before I met Clive, I struggled to look people in the eye and, you know, didn't realize that it's okay to be a strong kick, you know, what female. Um, so I wanted to bring that to the youth game. It's not about 
who, you know, no, no college coach cares um, who won whatever tournament as a 10 year old, you know, they want good solid people. So I'm still executive director for the Sharks. I now oversee the entire program. And one of the things that's really unique and special to me about the Sharks is from five to 19, we have a level for everybody from a rec side all the way to ECNL, which is an incredible platform that showcases our players for the collegiate national team levels um, to just more competitive locally type stuff. And I think one of the coolest things is we have division one rec players that are 16, 17, 18 years old, and they just love playing in the fall and then want to go play another sport in the spring. And that's okay. So um, it, it's really about giving back to the community and helping these kids, especially right now in the times we find ourselves in with the pandemic to have a release and to get out and be healthy. 100% and so much respect and admiration for that because we feel we've had a lot of t a lot of interviews with coaches and players and it really all starts at the youth level so so much respect on the on, on that level which leads me to my next question and probably one of my final questions for you Shannon you know and one one reason we're obviously so happy to talk to you is we feel the USL doesn't get enough talk so mm -hmm. obviously being part of the San Diego Loyal which I believe is going on to their second season wanted to ask you you know how did kind of that role come about we saw on the actual website that you were a senior advisor I feel like that role can have a lot of hats right it could probably de deal with <laughs> recruiting it could deal with like uh, obviously assisting the coaches a little bit of everything so we just kind of wanted to ask you what your role was like there yeah and um, you know I'll be honest it, it, it is a lot of hats <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's exciting because um, you know first I, I, I knew Landon Donovan as a player and always had just the utmost respect for him because he's a game changer and then um, before uh, Warren came along and was bringing USL to San Diego there was um, an effort to bring an MLS team and that's how I got to know Landon better and you know really get to know him as a person and it was about you know he lives in San Diego now and he wanted to do something special for his community. And so we worked together on the project for the MLS and that didn't happen. And then a few months later, out of the blue, he called me and he's like, Hey, we got to have breakfast. I got to talk to you about something. And he's like, and I know what you're going to say because I, I had the same reaction. Um, so we sat down and we had breakfast and he started to tell me about, Oh, so there's a men's professional team coming to town. And I kind of leaned back. He's like, I know, I know, I know. He said, uh, but Warren Smith is legit and it's coming, it's happening. He's an incredible guy. He's coming from Sacramento. He's, he's a builder and, you know, want you to, and he initially wanted me to um, come on as a full-time assistant coach. Um, being a mom and having a family, I wasn't able to commit to that right off the start. So we joined as an advisor, um, which as you said, it's, it kind of allows me the ability to, to do a lot, um, you know, so I get to go out and be at training um, help out when and where possible. Um, you know, it evolved into, I also started doing the commentating for the game. So all the home games, I'm now up in the broadcast booth, which is oh, that's just amazing. We didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been, it's been an absolute blast a bit out of my comfort zone, but, um, I've got an incredible partner up there that I work with and he makes it easy. And, um, you know, just taking on a, a few different things. And then the, this, um, USL impact committee came along and um, Warren suggested I throw my hat in for that. So now I'm on that. So it is kind of a few different things, but to be a part of professional soccer in the hometown that I grew up in is something that's really, really special. And I, you know, I've been nothing but impressed with USL and the entire organization and Warren and our owner, Andrew are just top notch, not just, I mean, beyond the soccer aspect, they're just such incredible human beings. And for them, it's really about embracing and igniting the community it's not just about hey we're bringing professional soccer it's about how can we make a difference locally and draw people in and make an impact and it's just so in line with how I operate um, and follow my heart so it's been truly a blessing to be involved with them and looking forward to hopefully getting fans back in the stands and up and running for season two um, and just seeing what it the potential really can be here in San Diego in the USL. Yeah. 100%. And if we're ever in San Diego, we will make sure to catch a game because the USL, I think, is is possibly the most exciting thing when it comes to the, the growth of American soccer. And we have a USL team coming near us pretty soon as well in, in, in Queensboro. So uh, give them hell, Queensboro. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to briefly mention um, with the growth of 
American soccer that we touched on earlier. Uh, the fact that, you know, you said in um, how in, in, in 91, when, when people came home, you know, five <laughs> people at the airport. Now, uh, when the women's team comes to New York for a victory parade, it's like the president's in town and how soccer has sort of compounded upon itself to become a national sort of phenomenon, but also a, a sort of a globalized interest in terms of the U.S.'s market. Also, fun fact, I figured I'd, I'd mention to, to really emphasize the fact of how the game is really growing. I think the women's national team jersey in 2019 was the highest sold ever jersey on Nike's website in the <laughs> history of anything sold on Nike's website, uh, which it. tells you tells you how not only the game has grown internationally for the the US's federation but globally and with all this this added pressure i know you mentioned the youth development in in added pressure as well my question sort of was if you had a message for anyone who is growing up in this new world of of huge sort of industry based soccer what would your advice be to them and how would you try to get to them in terms of getting to the next level and maybe trying to make this their thing or if that's not looking likely, what would you advise them to do? Well, you're going deep on me here, Hugh. I like it. I try my um, best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my best advice would be, I mean, you know, a few things. I think you have to have that dream. You have to find whatever it is that you are passionate about because it's not going to be easy. You're going to have people that tell you you're not good enough or, oh, that's silly. Why would you want to do that? And whether it's sports or you want to be a musician or a teacher, whatever it is, a scientist, figure out what just makes your heart skip that beat when you're doing it and what you just have the most pure love and enjoyment for. Because if you don't have that passion, the moment you hit that first obstacle, whether it's in sports and you have an injury, it's hard to bounce back from that adversity. But if you have that love and that passion, you're going to put your all into it. And you're each with each obstacle, you're going to find your way through it and be that much stronger for it. So it's so important. And I tell all of everyone, just find what that passion is and embrace it. And then surround yourself with like-minded people. Keep the naysayers at arm's distance and surround yourself with people that are going to push you and make you better. And you know, it, it goes fast. You know, my playing career, even though it was 12 years, it feels like a blink of an eye. And there's so much that I miss about it. So enjoy the moment and just be grateful for it too, because it's important that you absorb it and are able to give back to it, to keep it growing so that the future generations have it easier than you had it and make the sport better, leave it better than when you got there um, and just enjoy the heck out of it because it, it can be an incredible journey if you really have a heart and passion and soul behind it. Thank you for that. And I think that's definitely an outlook that's applicable not only to soccer, but also to life. And so I think 100% anyone listening, take notes because this is something you, that, you heard it here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Patented, copyrighted and, and, and sent to the printing presses. Shannon, we want to thank you so much for your time. I believe that was our last question. If nobody has anything else, but uh, thank you so much for being an inspiration. You know, we admire you so much on, like we said, on your youth development and on your role right now with uh, with the USL side, because we really do believe USL is growing, MLS is growing, NWSL is growing. I know they have some teams coming up as well. Austin FC, we're just so excited about that. Well, thank you guys for having me and supporting it. I mean, it's it's, it's awesome stuff coming down the road, I know, and um, appreciate you guys. Stay safe and warm back there, and hopefully we'll chat soon. All right, guys, that was the interview with Shannon McMillan. What an interview. Christian, got to get your thoughts, man. What do you think of her? Oh, man. I mean, first of all, we have to realize that the guests that we have here could have done a million other things. And for a World Cup champion to be on the show and give us uh, her time, it just means a lot. So it's an honor, Miss McMillan, if you're hearing this. And then one of the things that definitely learned is when she talked about the locker room and how they were so confident playing against anyone, even with, against Brazil. You know, everybody was ready to take on them. So a lot of things we have to consider is mentality. And that's what you, one of the key things you need in order to be a professional soccer player. So thank you for that, Shannon. 100%. And as to our special guest, Daniel, thank you so much for being out with us, man. I'll let you say a few words before we get out of here. Now, uh, like I mentioned, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, continue, um, excited to continue to see the growth of the podcast. It's really come a long way and it's in good hands. And uh, thank you for everyone who's listening. And like I said, um, Go PSG, go Keylor Navas, and from Costa Rica with love, uh, 
Shout out to Soccer Sub Podcast. We're we're worldwide, baby. Worldwide. Yeah, pura vida. Pura vida. Pura vida. That's right. Eric. Oh, man. Thank you to the fans for listening. Thank you, uh, Hugh, Christian, Ronnie, Daniel. Oh, man. I, listen, I love these sessions all the time. And listen, I'm just hoping that for once this prediction is right. Hala Madrid. All right, everyone. I at first I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something before I say the thing that everyone everyone knows I'm gonna say. Yeah, great great you know episode with you guys. Great interview. I'm really glad we got to record again. It's been a while, um, and I you know we've done some interviews, but we haven't really sat down and recorded and and, and, and talk soccer. And I'm I'm glad we've been able to do that. So thank you all, and thank you to everyone who's listening for making this possible. And now now that all that sappy stuff is over, make sure you go check us out at Soccer Subs Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, drop us a follow there. You'll be able to see all the stuff we post. We post interview clips. And if you really want like real special stuff, follow Christian on Instagram because he posts stuff before we release the interviews. Keep me giving so, away gifts. Yeah, exactly. He gives a preview to the preview to the episode. Uh, and we, we, yeah, so we post episode <laughs> highlights on the Instagram. So check us out there. Twitter, we do the same thing. So if you prefer Twitter to Instagram, go ahead i don't know why you, why you do that though twitter's i mean like no offense to twitter but like you know come on images versus text Meh. um <laughs> but yeah check us out give us a follow if you like this you'll like that thank you guys for listening thank you thank you guys for everyone i mean darielito all the way from costa rica two hours behind and here uh he's sitting with us so thank you so much eric my boy hugh ronnie all of you guys oh a big uh special I guess hello to uh, Sebastian North for from uh, Campfire Football. Love you, man. Love what you do, and uh, it's always an inspiration to to listen to your podcast. So uh, hopefully we can get to talk to you soon. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, guys, and as for me, as always, thank you guys for the support. We will be back next episode, episode twenty three. We got to do it big for the Michael Jordan number. Uh, we got a big guest as always coming up for episode twenty three. And yeah, definitely, like you said, shoot us an email. We'd definitely love to hear you guys. Shoot us a DM. We will be back next week or in two weeks. We'll see on um, on upcoming Champions League stuff. And we got a, we got some big shows coming up for you guys. So thank you guys for the support. And we will see you guys for the next one. Have a good one.